0: Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make him known. If you are interested in getting connected or if we can help you in any way, email us at info@theplantchurch.org. at This is a great week to be here. Um, we're going to get into our, uh, our teaching text in just a minute. So if you happen to have a Bible with you or a Bible app on your phone or anything like that, I want to invite you to open up to Mark chapter 16, and we're going to read uh, the, the Easter story in just a moment. But... um. We have been just to catch you up to speed. We have been in a in a a series uh, throughout the last few months where we've been taking a really deep dive, going through the Gospel of Mark, which is one of the Gospels, the stories about Jesus in the Bible, and. Uh, what we've been doing is we've been looking at different themes in the book of Mark that he draws out about the life of Jesus. And so the one that we've just been doing for the last few weeks is about God's kingdom and how it's upside down. It's really different than all the other kingdoms and govern, governments and, and empires that have ever existed on the earth. Uh, ki- God's kingdom just simply means anywhere where God's people are, where his rule and reign is, where God is, is on the throne if we can use that language, of our lives. He's the one that we are giving uh, our attention to and we're following his way to live life. And when we live in God's kingdom, it's really different than any other kingdom uh, because most of the time, kingdoms find their way to succeed at some point by someone's, they've got to do some arm twisting, You know, they've they've got to do some forcing of people to do things that they might not want to do. Uh, They try and have more power than everyone else in the room. That's how kingdoms and empires, if you're a history nerd like me, you know, that's how how they do it. You got to be stronger than the other guy if you want your kingdom to beat out their kingdom. It's the same in business. It's the same in any kind of successful enterprise on earth. I gotta be better and stronger than everyone else if I wanna be the greatest. That's how we do it in our kingdoms on earth. But Jesus said, in my kingdom, it's totally upside down. If you wanna be the greatest, you actually have to be everyone's servant. And that's really confusing and hard for us. So we've been talking about what it looks like to be in Jesus's kingdom that's so upside down. And the Easter story is the ultimate upside down story. It's the ultimate upside down of uh, this doesn't make any sense. This should not have happened. Mark is writing to people who, who know of Jesus, they're followers of Jesus. It's in the decades after Jesus had returned to heaven. And, and they, they know some stories about Jesus. They know he died on the cross. They knew he was raised to life. But they haven't heard all these stories about all these amazing things he'd done. And so Mark was writing probably to some Christians in Rome at the height of the Roman Empire. And he wants to encourage them because they're in the middle of a place that's full of a lot of power, They're in a place where the ultimate expression of what it looks like to be a strong empire, to to win by being the strongest and the one that pushes everyone else around. And they needed to see something upside down. They needed to see how different Jesus' kingdom was because, man, these people were down and out. They, They were not people that were loved and accepted and sometimes, you know, we don't necessarily experience that to that extent, uh, being Christians all the time where we live in the world. But you might feel down and out or pushed down or pushed out of the way for other reasons. And and so I hope that this is encouraging to you today as it was for the first readers of this. So what we wanna do today is is just talk about what this resurrection story, the story of Jesus coming back to life, what that means for you and I today. So if you have this open, Mark chapter 16, we're gonna read verses one through seven. It'll be up on the screens as well. And it simply says this. Saturday evening, when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome went out and purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. Very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. On the way, they were asking each other, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? But as they arrived, They looked up and saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled aside. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a white robe sitting on the right side. The women were shocked, but the angel said, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified, but he isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. Now go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you before he died. Let's take a moment to pray before we continue. Jesus, some of us maybe are hearing this story for the first time. Some of us are hearing this story for the 1,000th time. Wherever we are on that spectrum, Jesus, I pray that you would meet us in a real way this morning. That we would see you, the risen Lord, and and, and you would teach us and show us what it means to declare that you are risen indeed. I just pray that your Holy Spirit would, would be present here, that you'd speak to us and invite us into what you have for each of us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So this morning, here's how I want to talk to you about the Easter story. I want to tell you three really good stories. I think they're pretty good anyway. Uh, Three stories that are good but really should not have been good. They actually should have all turned turned out pretty terribly. But for some reason, they turned out amazingly well, probably beyond our wildest dreams. So the first story I want to tell you is a story about a soldier. There's this soldier in the mid-1800s. Uh, he, he had a pretty promising career in front of him. In fact, he, he came from a, a fairly uh, common background in, uh, in, in the Ohio Valley, and, and uh, he, he didn't have a lot going for him, was fairly poor, but he was able to attend West Point. And so he graduated from West Point. He was an officer, a promising young officer in in the American Army, in the U.S. Army, and and he fought uh, pretty bravely in the Mexican-American War. Uh, But shortly after that, as the war ended and he was getting assigned in all sorts of different places around the country on the the West Coast, which was pretty remote at that time, uh, he, he began to have a lot of problems. In fact, his drinking problem got the best of him. And, and eventually he was drummed out and dishonorably discharged from the army. His, his commanding officers were not impressed with what they were seeing. He was labeled as a drunk. Everyone in the army, a relatively small army at that time, knew of this really, really drunk soldier, and, and he was gone. He was kicked out of the army, so he returned home after having a Thought, what he thought was going to be a promising military career. He, he returned home to his wife who was pregnant with their second or third child at that point. And uh, he, he began to try and make something of himself. But literally everything he touched. You've heard of King Midas. Everything he touched turned to gold. Everything this soldier touched turned to ruins. He tried to start a farm. And there was famine after famine after famine. None of his crops would take. He he tried to build a a house uh, uh, on his own for his family on this little plot of land outside of St. Louis. And and, uh, there he he found that this tiny little house was, was pretty rough around the edges and not the greatest place to raise a family in. And it was basically like a little wooden shack they lived in. And he got poorer and poorer and went into more and more debt trying to get this farm going. His family, his father and brothers had gotten a fairly successful business going, but they were really controlling and they thought he was a failure and so they wouldn't really help him out. And his in-laws thought that he was the worst human, not even maybe subhuman on the face of the earth and they wanted nothing to do with him. They were disgusted that their daughter had married this man and had had kids with him. And, and, and so he was living in a pretty desperate place. His poverty got more and more extreme. It's looking pretty grim for this, this soldier. His crops keep dying year after year. And it got to the point where he would try and gather some dry scrap wood around from his property. And he would go into the city of St. Louis and he would stand on the corner begging people to buy firewood from him. So that he could put food on the family, on the family table. And so here he is day after day doing this and, and one of the local army posts at this time begins to have some army officers that he used to be in combat with and they would walk by this man not thinking anything of it until they did a double take when they heard his voice and realized that it was their fellow soldier from the Mexican-American War. They couldn't believe, one soldier wrote, I couldn't believe it was actually the same man. He looked gaunt, thin, a shriveled former Uh, not looking anything like himself, dirty, muddy, a mess, depression all over his face. He was longing one day to maybe hopefully get out of there and get to the new state of California. He heard the land was really uh, fertile soil and hopefully they could eke out a living there. He was at the end of himself and finally he had to capitulate out of pure desperation and he went to work for his younger brothers in the family business. They thought he was such a failure they wouldn't even let him run the store associated with the family business. He was just there to help customers as they came in. He couldn't manage the place. They didn't trust him with anything. He had poor business sense. He'd failed with everything. He was deeply in debt and he needed to dig himself out of a hole. Well, One day, you'd think that this was going to be the end. He was going to live out his days in anonymity, but then something happened that changed everything for this now 40-something-year-old man. National political tensions boiled over to a breaking point, and the Civil War broke out. And suddenly, this small town in Illinois where where this man was living, this soldier, he was asked by some of the local leaders if he would not join the army, but if he would just retrain a company of volunteers that was going to go report to the capital in Springfield, Illinois, and he asked if he would just train them and drill them and teach them how to march and stuff so they could go and join. And, And when they sent them off after a few weeks, he was kind of reluctant to get involved with them. And after a few weeks of training, he, he did that, and he, he really enjoyed getting back into that again. And, and, and then they asked him, hey, would you just come along to help us send this company of volunteers off when we go to Springfield? So he went along with them on the train, and they went to Springfield, and, and suddenly this, this man found himself... Uh, being invited to train other companies there that were coming in, volunteers that were not as well-drilled as the company that he had brought from his hometown. And then suddenly he was asked by the governor, would he also maybe not just train individual companies, but would he be in charge of training this entire regiment, this entire division? Actually, would you be in charge of all of the recruits coming in from Illinois? And before long, this colonel, and then promoted to general, was sent out with a, a big army division to begin uh, moving into the confederate states as an active field general some of you might know where this is going Uh, some of you might not but the history books write themselves this 40 year old now general began to win battle after battle after battle famously taking the confederate citadel in vicksburg mississippi and he became a national hero It was not much longer before Congress passed an act to uh, promote one general to the rank of lieutenant general, a three-star general, that they had not ever done since George Washington. And this one man was invited to be promoted to three-star lieutenant general in in charge of the entire union war effort reporting directly to President Abraham Lincoln. This man was none other than the future president, Ulysses S. Grant. A miserable existence. Literally the war breaks out and he should have been a footnote in the history books, if that. He failed at absolutely everything. Mistake after mistake after mistake marked his life. It should not have turned out this way. People who are that down and out do not get another opportunity, do they? Especially when they've botched so many. He had a horrible reputation. All the way through his rise through the ranks, everyone still doubted him. You know, this guy's really a drunk. I know what he did. It followed him his entire career until he reached the very top. The one who thought he'd made too many mistakes, who was hoping to just simply live out his days quietly out of the spotlight, suddenly found himself celebrated, honored, and welcomed by a country thankful for his leadership and service to the union. This really should not have happened. If the Civil War didn't happen, we would not know who Ulysses S. Grant is. We would not know. It should not have happened, but it did. That's the first story. The second story is the story that we just read the story, this morning, the story of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. This really shouldn't have happened either. I, I don't need to tell you, but people who are dead usually stay dead. I don't know if you're familiar with how that science works. <laughs> Jesus was a, a poor young Jewish, Jewish religious teacher in the first century AD. He was in an out-of-the-way, unimportant province, province in the Roman Empire called Judea. A lot of Roman people, uh, Roman dignitaries, people who got on the bad side of the emperor or, or important senators, they would send them to to posts and, and being the governor of places like Judea as punishment. Like, you're going to be a governor over there. It's like the armpit of, of our empire. That's where you're going to be. This was a very unimportant province and a very, very unimportant people group as far as the, the Roman Empire was concerned. This great kingdom was concerned. And he was teaching people there, this oppressed, downtrodden people, that they should love their enemies. This is not a recipe for success, Jesus. We need our people to be strong so they can retake their land. He would teach his followers that if they were going to follow him, they would need to lay down their lives. Not in in an effort to retake their land, but they would need to lay down their lives out of love for others. They would need to lay down their lives as a sacrifice for others. They would need to lay down their lives as they are rejected by everyone, including their own people. is not a recipe for success, is it? If anyone would join him, they would also need to welcome the weakest people among them. The Bible calls it, Jesus called them the least of these. If you want to be great in my kingdom, welcome the least of these. The least of these were the poor children who were better to be seen and not heard. uh, Those who were socially and ethnically marginalized in, in this community. The people who are unimportant and have no influence, those are the people that I want you to give priority to and love. This is not a recipe for success. You need to kind of, you know, rub shoulders with important, influential people if you want to build this kingdom, Jesus. Jesus' whole ministry was essentially one big PR disaster. And it got to the point where he started preaching. I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to suffer and I'm going to be killed. And his disciples, his followers, were like, no, 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 that can't happen to you. This isn't how this story goes. This isn't how the kingdom's supposed to unfold. No, Jesus, you've got this wrong. I think you're confused. Jesus' life was, in so many ways, incredibly unimpressive. Now, you're reading this with 2,000 years of history when you read these stories. But in that moment, this is a very unimpressive person who is not going to win friends and influence people. This is not someone who's going to be successful in the eyes of the world. He's letting too many people in. He's serving too many people. This needs to stop Jesus. And when he finally was arrested, beaten, crucified, you would have been right to think, well, there we go. Told you, another young, promising Jewish religious leader throws it all away. They messed it all up. The Romans, they're just too strong. This one had some special, some special things he was doing. There was healings happening. There was miracles happening. There's, man, this, this guy could have been somebody, but no one, no one will ever know who he was. So you would have been right to think that if you were in that time and in that place. Jesus' life was that unimpressive in so many ways. Yet on that day, yet on that day, that morning, early in the morning, these women who had followed him went to the tomb and found there was no body. And there to greet them, someone who Mark uh, just calls a young man in shining white clothes, an angel, a messenger from God was there to say, guess what, Jesus is alive. He was dead. But he's not anymore. As I said before, dead people, as you know, stay dead. This should not have happened. Not only should he not have been raised from the dead, but but someone who preached this kind of PR disaster remain weak and serve everyone, and that's the way to greatness, someone who does that should not be who Jesus has become known to be and who he was. Someone like that should not be successful in any sense of the word. It shouldn't have happened. It made no sense, simply like Grant's rise to prominence. It made no sense. It shouldn't have happened. But Jesus had been raised to life by his heavenly father, proving that all of these upside down, all these bizarre ways of serving others had been the right way to live. And the father showed and proved that Jesus was right in everything he did and how he taught us to live by raising him back to life. Not even death could silence what Jesus was doing. Hope like this should not have been found at all. There should be no reason to hope out of death, but because Jesus even defeated death by coming back when he shouldn't have, we can have hope. Because not only was Jesus raised to life, but his disciples who had all abandoned him, were being invited back to him. Even Peter, Peter had been the biggest coward of them all, and he was invited back. The angel says, hey, not only is Jesus alive, but he wants to see all of his disciples. He wants to get everyone back. He's inviting you back. Would you meet him in this place called Galilee? It was a little further north from from Jerusalem where they were. "Would Would you meet him there? He's gone ahead of you. He's gonna be there. I want all the disciples to be there and Peter and Peter. Now, why did he say that? Peter was one of the disciples, if you know the story at all, but man, Peter had really messed up. Peter had really extra messed up. You ever really extra messed up? Like, you should not get an invite back from Jesus kind of messed up. Peter, for those of you who don't know the story, he was kind of cocky, kind of full of it. And, 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 he, and he was like, he was this guy that would be like, oh, Jesus, you're going to suffer. I'm going to suffer right alongside you. Nope. I'm going to do just what you do. And, and then when he gets his feet washed, he didn't want his feet washed by Jesus. When Jesus washes his feet, he's like, okay, wash, wash my head also and wash. He was like, well, you don't need all that wash. You're getting carried away now, Peter. He was just like a little overzealous. You ever have that one friend that's like a little bit much. They're like, okay, we're going to do this. And we're going to do this like this, this well here. That's Peter. When, when they were arresting Jesus and taking him away, Peter hadn't learned what this new kingdom is like, yet he pulled out a sword and he slashed off the ear of one of the people arresting Jesus. I'll come to protect you. And Jesus is like, what are you doing? He picks the ears, ear up and he puts it back on the soldier and heals his enemy, the one arresting him. Can you imagine doing that? Here, let me help you make it easier to arrest me. Let me, let me heal you real quick. It's a demonstration of how, what his kingdom's like. How upside down it is. And Peter, after this, drops the sword like a coward and runs. All the disciples run, but then it gets worse for Peter. Jesus has said, you know, I know you think you're really confident, but you're going to deny me three times. You're going to deny that you even know me. Over the course of that night after Jesus is a which Peter does, he denies Jesus three times. And it got so bad, these people are like, no, 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 you have a Galilean accent. Like, I can tell. You definitely were with Jesus, right? And Peter's like, if I'm lying, let there be a curse on me. I don't know who that guy is. You want to talk about denying Jesus, feeling guilty about it, being ashamed, being embarrassed. And here's Jesus saying, I want all of the disciples to come back and Peter. See, Peter had messed up so bad, he probably didn't even think he counted it as a disciple anymore. Have you ever counted yourself out as someone who belongs to Jesus? Have you ever counted yourself out like that? Have you ever said, okay, I've done, my list is long. Where do I start? I have guilt. I have a lot of shame. I'm embarrassed. Some of these things I'm really actually not sorry about, but I know Jesus isn't really interested in me because of these things. I know God would rather I stay over here. Man, and here's the good news of the resurrection. It shouldn't have happened, but Jesus invited the disciples and Peter. And it shouldn't happen that he invites you and I, but he does. And that leads me to the third story. It's your story and my story. This is the hope that in Jesus, life does not end up like it should. There's a natural way of things in the world, right? There are natural consequences to things. A lot of us have experienced in our lives natural consequences that are really painful. How many of you have regrets? Those of you who aren't raising your hands are lying. <laughs> there are regrets. There are regrets that pile up and pile up and pile up and you go, Oh, I was so stupid. And you, you feel, some, do you sometimes think about even when you were like much younger and you feel like embarrassed about what you did or what you said? man, I have some things even like as a young pastor that I did and said, I know I'm still young to some of you, but much younger pastor. And, and, and I, and I would, I like think about those things now. And sometimes I just cringe. I still feel embarrassed about like what I said or I'm like, that was so dumb. What, why did they even stay in our church after I said that or did that? That was dumb. You have regrets. I'm sure too. Things you're embarrassed about, mistakes about, or maybe you're like Grant or like Peter and you just had failure after failure after failure after failure after failure. Talk a big game and then failure and then failure and then failure. And you're like, I, I, I'm too guilty to even go anywhere near God. I was just talking with someone at our our, uh, our Good Friday Stations of the Cross that we, we had here on Friday night, and they just shared how much, they, had, they were like, oh, I, I haven't been to church in a long, long time, but I wanted to come tonight. And honestly, I stay away now because I just feel so guilty. And they used that word over and over again in the conversation, just how guilty they felt. You ever feel guilty? Yep. Maybe you keep coming to church because it's kind of connected into your social network and structure, but maybe you stopped praying a long time ago. Maybe you stopped being still before God because you're like, I'm just embarrassed to even go near you. I've done too much. I've said too much. But here's the beauty of the love and the mercy of Jesus in the resurrection. He says, hey, I want all my disciples and Diana. I want all of my disciples and I want Peter. I want all of my disciples and I want Bill. Bill. I want all of my disciples and you, the one you think is not included in that. I want you all, you're all invited to come back to be with me. It shouldn't be like this. What Jesus should have done is said, hey, you guys messed up. I'm going to go find some new disciples. Let me find some people who are going to be a little more faithful, do this a little bit better. But no, he wants you. He wants you. He wants you. Yeah, I know what you did. He's not dumb. He knows what you did. He still wants you. That's the beauty of what the cross did. That's the beauty of the resurrection. You see, Here's what happens when when you and I say yes to following Jesus. Say, I'm going to follow you. I actually want to be your disciple. I want to learn to live life the way you have invited me to live life. Here's what happens. You identify, the Bible says you identify with his death. So when Jesus died, he took every mistake Every bit of shame, every bit of guilt, every bit of brokenness, everything. You confess all those sins. You confess everything. You put it under the blood of Jesus on the cross. You declare it. And he's like, guess what? It's dead. And he, even, he doesn't just say the things you did were dead. He says, you, that person that did that, is dead. You die with Christ. And he said, guess what? But that's not the end. When Jesus came back to life, he says, you are raised to new life with Jesus. You literally are a different person. Figure that one out. I don't understand it still. You are like a different person. That's what baptism is. You go into the water of baptism, bury the old life, the old you. You come back out, raised to new life, just like Jesus. You see, Jesus is inviting the disciples and Peter. He's inviting you and I because he knows that it's not gonna be the old you that comes to him. When you say yes to him, it's a whole new you. It's the you that he always dreamed you would be, the you he created you to be. And more and more each day, as we're transformed to become like Jesus, we find more and more we're becoming the people that God made us to be. And that means every bit of shame, guilt, despair, hopelessness, the mistakes, all of those things, they can stay in that grave. And you get to live a new life in Jesus when you say yes to him. That's the story of the resurrection. That's the hope of the resurrection. This is a kind of hope that overcomes every mistake you've ever made. It's the kind of hope that overcomes your shame and your guilt, the kind of hope that overcomes even your trauma, the kind of hope that overcomes your pain, the kind of hope that overcomes your weariness. How many of you feel weary today? It shouldn't be this way, should it? You should live out the rest of your life just kind of like, I guess I'll get by with this amount of numbness and pain and depression and weariness and shame and guilt and I just kind of have to manage. Anyone feel like even they they follow Jesus, sometimes I meet Christians, they've been in church their whole life and they still believe they have to just kind of manage with a certain level of guilt and shame. And I meet people who've never been in, in church and they don't even think it's possible to have any kind of different experience other than living under guilt and shame. And I wanna tell you that when you are living out the story of the resurrection of Jesus, you let that die with him and buried with him. And you get to walk out of that grave with Jesus, even you, into a new life. So here's my my question to you today as we begin to bring this to a close. I'm gonna give you a a few minutes and just a moment for some reflection quietly before we worship and take communion together. But um, I I wanna frame it this way. Every single one of us will live our lives by a story. Psychologists call these social scripts uh, these, are, these are narratives that we believe are important and intrinsically valuable for how we live life. Uh, a really basic version of this that I like to, to use to describe is like a story we live our life by. This is the template that we say, if I'm living by this, I'm doing a pretty good job. So there's a general kind of in, in the Western world, in America, we have a, a, a familiar social script. This isn't the only one, but this is one of them. Um, what happens when you graduate high school? Generally. Generally. Go to college. What happens after you go to college? You get a job. What happens if you get a job? You get married. What kids? What else? I get the house. What else? You retired dog. No dog for me. Uh, what else? You promotions, cars, grandkids, vacations. Amen to vacations. Second homes. Oh, okay. I like your. Uh, this is good. I like the second home. What happens after that? Then you retire, and then what happens? You die. Florida. That's the same thing, isn't it? No, I'm sorry. I'm just joking. I really am joking. If you live in Florida or love Florida, I'm sure it's a beautiful place. I just don't want to go there. Um, I really hope I didn't just grossly offend someone. Uh, But here's my point. How did you all know that? Did you all talk before we had service today? How did, that's a social script. It's a narrative that we all have kind of from birth. This is what success means. And there's like kind of versions of that. But you all are like, everyone's like, I have to have some version of this story. We have different versions of these stories that we live our lives by. I gotta have the kids. I gotta have the house. I gotta have the second home. I like that one. We gotta have the right car. I gotta retire with the right amount of income. None of these things are Bad. None of these things are are less, but if this is the story we live our lives by, anytime we don't hit one of those benchmarks, we're going to have shame. We're going to have guilt. We're going to feel like a failure. We're going to compare ourselves to other people to say, well, they have two extra houses. I only have one. Their retirement's double what mine is. They're able to send their kids to better school than I can. And do I have my kids in enough extracurriculars? Do I need to put them in more? The weariness that we're in is a rat race a lot of times because this is the narrative we said, I'm gonna live by this story. But what the resurrection is, is it's a different story to live your life by. It's a story that says, it doesn't matter how many times I've failed, it doesn't matter how many times I've made mistakes, it doesn't matter how much shame and guilt is there, that all can die and stay in the tomb and I can live a totally different story in the resurrected life of Jesus. Jesus. Do you want to live that story or do you want to live the rat race story? Now, I'm not saying you don't do some of those things, but do you want to make it your story? One of the beautiful things about the way Mark ends this gospel is it actually ends very, very abruptly. There's a couple different reasons. I'm not going to get really nerdy about that right now. But one of the ideas is, is that Mark wanted to just leave his readers going here's what happened. What are you going to do with it? And really, the the thing about the resurrection for all of us is, is when we hear this truth that Jesus is alive and what that means for us, that what has happened doesn't have to be what is going to happen. This whole new resurrection hope shouldn't be reality, but it is because of Jesus. The fact that you can live in a different story is only possible because of him. That should not be available to you as a story, as an option, but it is. And so my question for all of us this morning is, do you want to live the story that should happen or do you want to live the story that should not have happened? So here's what I wanna do before we, we worship and close and take communion together. I just wanna give you a few minutes of silence In the presence of the Holy Spirit, to let him invite you, just like Jesus did. Tell my disciples and Peter, what might Jesus be inviting you into this morning? What story is Jesus inviting you into today? So by way of response, here's what I want you to do. And if this is new for you or or you're just like, what the heck is going on right now? Um, We just want to quiet ourselves down, close our eyes, just to be present with Jesus for a few minutes. And you can, I want to invite you into this practice. I, I bet God wants to surprise you just meeting with God for a moment. So I want to encourage you if, you, if you'd be willing to close your eyes, bow your head, and, and I'm just going to lead you through a very short guided meditation, just reflecting on this good news for just a moment. First, I, I just want to give you a moment to be still before the Lord and to ask Which story do you want to live your life by? second meditation question for you as you're sitting silently with the Lord is this. How have you let guilt, shame, fear, disappointment, pain, or trauma, how have you let those shape your life story? Don't shy away from this one. Has it made you less trusting of people? Has it made you disconnected? Has it made you hopeless? Ask God what He thinks. leave it just a little more uncomfortably long here. Just stay with this question for another minute. I know it's a long time. Final question. How might Jesus be inviting you into a different story? Now, we're not denying anything that's happened in your past. We're not denying the guilt. We're not denying the shame. We're not denying the pain. We're not denying the trauma. But how might Jesus be inviting you into a different story and perhaps reshaping and redeeming those things through the power of the new life of Jesus? How might Jesus be inviting you into a different story? Just take a minute to reflect on that. So keeping your head bowed, keeping your head bowed, keep your eyes closed for just a minute. Some of you, I, I think during this time, Jesus has made an invitation to you. It might be a little scary, it might not be what you expected, but I, I just want to, uh, just for you to make a commitment this morning, that if you're like, he gave me an invitation and I really need to respond to this. If that's you, you just keep your eyes closed and your head bowed. But if you're saying, I, I wanna say yes to living this story of Jesus, maybe for the first time in your life. Or maybe a recommitment. Would you just put your hand up to him as a sign? No one's looking around. So. But if you're saying you wanna do that, it's just your moment of action and commitment to say, yeah, I, I need this. I wanna live in this different story. Yeah, Awesome. I want to live out this different story. Yeah. Awesome. You can put your hands down. Jesus, thank you so much for your presence. Thank you so much that you invite us even when you really shouldn't have. And Lord, I just pray for all of my friends that are here this morning that they would live out the reality of this resurrection life, that all of the old could stay dead. They wouldn't pick it back up out of the grave, that they would leave it there, Lord. And Jesus, I pray that they would respond to your invitation to follow you into new life. In Jesus' name,